It's good to be with you today, Sagemont. Thank you for coming. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6. 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to get there in just a minute. Let me begin today as you're turning there. Um, I have a friend of mine that is going to be here. He's going to be speaking immediately following my, my sermon just for a few minutes. His name is Tim McKenzie. He uh, is the, the founder of a ministry called On Every Word, and he, he's going to come. And this man has more scripture memorized than anybody I've ever met in my life. And for about four or five minutes, he's got a presentation where he just quotes from uh, memory scripture along with some video and some music. It's incredible. It's tied into my sermon. So when he comes up at the end, you'll know what that's about. But I want to begin today by asking you guys a question. And the question is specifically for the believers in the room. And that's how can you know for sure that you're saved? Like how can you know for certain that you're a believer and that you have received salvation? So don't turn there, but I want to read a couple of scriptures that sort of are able to show us that we're truly believers. In Romans 10.9 it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now everybody look at that phrase, believe in your heart. That God raised him from the dead. That that phrase there, believed in your heart, does not mean you have an intellectual belief in the resurrection. The demons have an intellectual belief in the resurrection, and they're not going to heaven when they die. That's talking when it says believe in your heart. That means that you believe into and you trust into what Jesus did on the cross. And what he did in the resurrection, that you trust your life, you trust your eternity, you trust your heart, you trust your being into the cross, into the resurrection, and you will be saved. Look at Romans 8.16. It says, the Spirit himself, talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So when you hear the word of God, does your spirit agree with the Holy Spirit? That when you hear the Word of God, when you hear the Gospel, does your spirit agree with the Holy Spirit that that is true? That you hear the Gospel and you're like, yes, I believe that. Then you are a child of God. Now today, what Peter's going to do is he's going to show us, and I want you to hear this, this is key. What Peter's going to show us is that when you're going through suffering, and when you're going through trials, that how you respond to that trial is going to reveal whether or not you're truly saved. That how you respond to that trial is going to reveal the genuineness of your faith. And so let's read 1 Peter 1.6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now look at verse 7. He says, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Peter says one of the things that's going on when you're being tested by a trial is that is testing the genuineness of your faith. Now, I want you to look at the word genuineness because that's key to understanding what Peter's saying. The word genuineness is a Greek word 
dokimion. And it was a word used that described the process of testing a metal's purity. And so back in the day, people had gold, they had silver, and they were always trying to make counterfeit gold and silver and sell it. And so if you wanted to test that metal's purity, if it was genuine gold or genuine silver, you put it through the process of dokimion. And so what Peter's saying here, listen, is that when you're going through a trial in your life, when you're going through a storm, when you're going through persecution, that one of the things that that trial and that suffering, that persecution is going to do is reveal the purity or the genuineness of your faith. It's going to reveal it. It's going to reveal whether your faith is genuine or if it is a counterfeit. Now, guys, there's a kind of a scary implication of this verse. And one of the implications of this verse is this, is that it's, it's, it's implying that it's entirely possible for you to have a kind of faith that is not genuine. The implication of it is that it's possible for you to have some kind of belief in God that does not lead to your salvation. It's not real, genuine faith, okay? Now, I'm going to talk about what this um, kind of non-genuine belief in God or non-genuine faith is here in a second. But before that, I want to talk about what does genuine saving faith look like? Here it is. Let's talk about it. So what genuine saving faith is. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came to this planet and He was fully God and He was fully man. He lived a perfect life. He was completely free from sin. And at the end of his ministry, he was crucified on a Roman cross where he shed his blood. And when he shed his blood on that Roman cross, that paid the penalty for all your sin and all my sin. And so he shed his uh, blood on the cross, and then he died on the cross, and then three days later he rose from the grave, where right now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so if you believe into that, if you trust into that truth of the cross and the resurrection, you trust your heart, you trust your eternity into that gospel, that good news that Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and is alive today, then you will be saved. That is a picture of saving faith that you cannot lose. Now, in Matthew 13, 20, if you want to turn there, Matthew 13, 20, Jesus clearly describes a kind of belief or a kind of faith in Jesus that actually does not lead to your salvation. Let me read this to you, Matthew 13, 20. Jesus is given the parable of the sower. He's talking about how people respond to the Word of God. In Matthew 13, 20, he says, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word, and immediately receives it with joy. Yet it has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so Jesus is describing here, these are Jesus' words, red letters here. He's describing a person that uh, when the word of God is preached, they're actually going to hear the word of God, and the scripture says they receive it, that there's some sort of intellectual belief in what was preached through the word of God. Then it says that uh, uh, persecution is going to arise in their life. Trials come into their life. And when persecution and trials come into their life, Jesus said that immediately, because of that persecution, they reject the word and they fall away. 
And look at the second part here in Matthew 22. Matthew 13, 22, he says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the second kind of response to the Word of God. As what for was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the Word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the Word, and it proves unfruitful. And so this is the second scenario Jesus talks about. This is a person that hears the Word of God, they receive it, there's some sort of belief, there's some sort of uh, faith in what they hear, but then two things happen in their life. Number one, the cares of the world come into their life. Marriage, job, kids, the cares of the world. And the second thing that comes into their life, he says, the deceitfulness of riches. And so the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they choke out the word in this person's life, and it proves unfruitful. Now, I want to be really clear about something. Don't miss this. Jesus is not saying that if you have a real genuine faith that leads to salvation, that you can lose that. We talked about that last week. It is absolutely impossible if you're truly saved to lose your salvation. Peter said it last week, that your salvation is being guarded by the power of God and will be revealed on the last day. So if you are genuinely, truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. But what he is saying is that it is entirely possible for you to have some kind of belief in God that is counterfeit and does not lead to your salvation. And so what Peter is doing here today in 1 Peter 1.7 is he's teaching us that, listen, one of the primary things that's going to reveal in your life, whether you have a real genuine faith or a counterfeit faith, is trials. It's one of the things that's going to come into your life and is going to reveal whether your faith is counterfeit or genuine. And Jesus literally says this exact same thing in Matthew 7.24. He's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus comes right out and says this. In Matthew 7, 24, watch what it says. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine, talking about the Sermon on the Mount, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so Jesus said that your faith is built on one of two foundations. It's either built on a foundation of rock, And it's going to last no matter what comes in your life. But there's a second kind of foundation that your faith is built on. And some people, their foundation of their faith is built on sand, and it will not last. Now, everybody look at me. What did Jesus just say will be the revealing factor? What did Jesus say that will be the the thing that reveals whether or not your faith is built on a foundation of sand or a foundation of rock? He just said something. Something's going to come in, and it's going to reveal which foundation you're built on. What is it? Storms. Storms. Jesus says that for some people, storms are going to come into their life, and winds are going to blow, and floods are are going to rise, and their faith is still going to be standing there on the other side of that storm. And that there's going to be other people. 
That same kind of storm is, is going to come into the light. The, the wind is going to blow. The, the rain's going to fall. The floods are going to rise. And it's completely tear their faith apart. Because it was never built on the rock. And so maybe better than anything else, how you respond to those storms and those trials in your life are going to reveal whether or not you're genuinely saved. Okay? Now here's the thing. One of the reasons that I believe the Bible is completely true is because it says things like that. It'll say that storms, you'll say storms are going to reveal whether or not you, you, you have a faith built on a foundation of the rock or foundation of sand. And, and then I live my life and I see it be absolutely true. I've been in ministry for 26 years. And I can tell you story after story after story of people, um, men and women, of, of all different kind of ages, and they go to, the, they go to church their whole lives. And, and everything about them, if you were just look at them from the outside, everything about them, you could look at them and go, that's a Christian. They go to church, they go to Bible study, they tithe. And everything looks great, and everything seems to point to the fact they're believers until a storm comes into their life, until a trial comes into their life. Say their spouse cheats on them or something like that. And I've watched over and over and over again, unfortunately, as their seeming faith in God just disintegrates. You see them a year later, and they don't go to church. You hear from their friends that they, they're not even sure if they believe in God anymore. They're walking in this horrible sexual immorality. And here's the thing, guys. Everything seemed to be completely fine in their lives until the storm came. And when the storm came, it revealed their faith was built on a foundation of sand. I've seen it in diagnosis of people with health issues, cancer, stuff like that. They're fine. Everything's great. One day they get the call, you have cancer, and it just completely disintegrates their supposed faith. They get bitter at God. God, why me? I've done all this stuff for you. And you watch helplessly as they walk away from the Lord. I've seen it in college kids. I've told you guys that my church in Austin is full of them. I saw this once. I've seen it a thousand times, maybe more. Kids would come into the Austin Stone on the first Sunday of their freshman year, and they're singing, and they're doing their thing because they grew up in church. They went to summer camp. They had this faith, supposedly, in their lives, but then the storm of the temptation of college, the storm of someone challenging their faith in one of their classes comes in, and it completely wrecks out their faith, and by their sophomore year, there's no semblance of the faith they supposedly once had. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. That when a significant storm comes into your life, it will absolutely reveal whether or not your faith is genuine or not. Now, at the same time, at the exact same time, I could tell you story after story after story of people that went through those exact same trials. They go through the trial of a difficult marriage. They go through the trial of singleness. They go through the trial and temptation of college. They go through the trial of cancer. They go through the trial of financial ruin. And they walk through those trials, but it has the completely opposite effect. That when they get on the other side of that trial, it, it produces a more genuine faith, and they're more sure of their faith, and they're more in love with God, and they're more walking with Jesus than they ever were before the trial came in. I want you to listen to this quote by Tim Keller, pastor in New York. 
He says, Christianity teaches that contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. That contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. Contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. He says there is a purpose to it. And if faced rightly, listen to this. He says it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God. And in a more stability and more spiritual power than you can ever imagine. Suffering for the believer is never without purpose. And if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love and the heart of God. And you'll discover more spiritual power there than you ever dreamed possible. I'll tell you a quick story about a friend of mine named Matt Chandler. Some of y'all know who he is. Pastor of a huge church in Dallas, about 10,000 people. He and I planted our churches on the same day back in 2002. Um, we were good friends. Talked to him a couple days ago. He's one of the best preachers, if not the best preacher of my generation. I mean, he, he is the Charles Spurgeon of, of my generation. He preaches me under the table. He's amazing. About 10 years ago, he was diagnosed with brain cancer. <clears throat> and I called a, a buddy of mine that was a neurologist. And my ner- neurologist buddy, I told him the kind of cancer it was. He goes, Matt, that is not good. This kind of cancer is very aggressive. Only 2% of people that get this cancer survive five years. It's incredibly aggressive. So they were going to do an aggressive surgery. They were going to open up his head, and they were going to take out a fourth of his brain. And they had no idea what would happen. They don't, they don't know if he'd make it through, but that was the only chance they had to possibly get him through this, have any chance of survival at all. And before the, the surgery, he was scared. And this is a man of God. Incredible faith. And he was worried. He was scared as he should be. He didn't want to leave his wife and kids. So me and another buddy got in the car. We drove to Dallas. And we went and spent some time talking to him. We prayed for him. And I'll never forget what he, what he did and what he said after we prayed for him. It's really interesting what he said. But it really does tie with what we're saying today. I put my hands on his head and I prayed for him. I prayed for his healing. I prayed for his comfort. Pray that he would have many more years of ministry left. I prayed for his family. And when I got done, he looked up at me, tears streaming from his face, and he held up his Bible like this, an interesting response. He looked at me and he said, Matt, I want you to know that I really do believe this book. Isn't that an interesting response? I really do believe this book. Peter says, That moment right there, that moment right there, when when this huge storm, this horrible storm that you don't know if you're going to make it out of, comes blowing into your life, and that doesn't turn you from God, but it turns you to God, and it drives you like a nail into the heart of God, Peter says that's when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a genuine faith. That's how you know. Now, Keep in mind that Peter is comforting these people going through trials. He's comforting people that are going through suffering. And he just told them that that trial is testing the genuineness of their faith. And then what he says next, guys, is he's going to say that if you have a genuine faith that's still standing there on the other side of trials, that that faith is more valuable than anything in the world. Okay, let me, let me show you what he says. Let's look at verse 6. He says, in this you greatly rejoice... 
Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. Now look at verse 7. Again, he says, so the tested genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Peter says, look, if you have a genuine faith, the trial comes into your life. It drives you like a nail into the heart of God, and you're standing there on the other side. Your faith is genuine. And he says, look, if you have a genuine faith, I want you to know that that right there is more precious than gold. Now listen, he's not waxing eloquent here. He's not trying to sound cool. He's not, he's not being poetic. He's really trying to show us the actual value of our genuine faith. Because he's saying, if you, listen, don't miss this. He said, if you really realize just how valuable your genuine faith is in Christ, he said, that's going to help you endure trials. That's his whole point. He said, your faith is more valuable than gold, which is a big statement because back then, everybody that heard that would have thought, okay, that's the most valuable material in the world. Pretty much every culture you go to, gold would be the one thing that was prized and valued more than anything else, and he just makes this crazy statement that your genuine faith, it's going to be, it is more valuable than the most valuable precious metal in the whole world. Now, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it? If you've been going to church for a while, I would guess that you intellectually believe that. You're like, yeah, my my genuine faith is more valuable than gold. But do you really believe it deep down in your heart that your faith in Jesus is the single most valuable thing you possess? Do you really believe it? Well, here's how you know. You know that Jesus is the most valuable thing you possess, and you can tell by how tightly you hold on to other things. Did you catch that? Believer? How do you know if Jesus really is the most valuable thing in your life, according to your mind and your heart, how tightly do you hold on to other things? Because one of the things that happens when it dawns on you that no matter what I go through, I have a genuine faith that cannot be taken away. It's guarded by God's power. What that'll do is that'll loosen the grip on the other stuff in your life. And it'll help you endure. Um, Goofy example here. I apologize for it, but I'm going to give you some lyrics from a song that came out about 20 years ago. From Tim McGraw, it's a country song. I know not everybody here is a country music fan, but the Apostle Peter actually was a country music fan, and so um, this works well. It's about this uh, boy Johnny and this girl, and they grow up together, they fall in love, and she's the most valuable thing in his life. In the second verse, it says, same old boy, same sweet girl, 10 years down the road, he held her tight and kissed her lips in front of the picture show. Teenagers, don't do that. Wait till you're married. So a stranger came and pulled a gun, grabbed her by the arm and said, if you do what I tell you to, there won't be any harm. And Johnny said, take my money, take my wallet, take my credit cards. Here's the watch that my grandpa gave me. Here's the key to my car. Mr. Give it a whirl, but please don't take the girl. I love that because that is a picture 
of this thing in his life, this person in his life that was the most valuable thing in his life. And in that moment where it might be taken away, he realized realized the supreme value of this girl in his life. And what it did is it loosened the grip on everything else. He said, "You, you can have the watch that my granddad gave me. He's not here with us anymore. You can have my car that I just spent the last four years raising money for. You can have my wallet, credit cards, take anything in my life. Just don't take this person in my life is of greatest value. That's what Peter's saying here. That's why he put that phrase in there. He's not trying to be cute. He's saying that if Jesus really is the most valuable thing in your life, if that goes down deep in your heart, it will loosen the grip on all the other stuff in the world that you hold so tightly to. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3, 5 through 8. He begins this verse by talking about all his resume. He gives his resume, all the things in the world that he used to want so badly and was going so hard for. In verse 5, Paul says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That was a big deal back in the day. I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm a chosen one. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, he said. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. That's an insult today. Back then it wasn't an insult. It was a compliment. He knew the law so well that he became a Pharisee. He says, as to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness that's found in the law, I was blameless. Paul said, I kept the law of God as good as anybody in the world. But then watch what he said. He said, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss. For what? for the sake of Christ. More than that, he said, I count all things, not most things, he said, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count everything else in my life to be rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. Paul says that Jesus Christ, that knowing Jesus is the single greatest thing of value in my whole world. And I have lost everything else, and it doesn't matter to me one bit because I still have Jesus. And he said, the greatest value in my life. And so Peter's screaming from the rooftops here, if you'll only realize that, if you'll get to the place where you really know he actually is, knowing Jesus, the greatest thing of value in your life, going to loosen the grip on everything else you have because you have that one thing. Now, really quickly. The end of verse 7, Peter's going to tell us why your genuine faith is more valuable than anything in the world. He's going to tell you. He's going to give you a real specific reason to help it sink down into our hearts why your faith in Jesus, you knowing Jesus, is the greatest thing of value in your whole life. Let's look at verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Watch what he says. Here's why. May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, If you have a real genuine faith, It's a good thing. Your faith is being tested. And if you're standing through that trial and your faith is genuine, there's coming a day called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And on that day, you're going to receive praise and glory and honor. That's why it's more valuable than gold. Now, to understand what the day of revelation of Jesus Christ is, let me say this. It's a day in the Bible that's talked about many times. 
the day of the revelation of Jesus. And it's the day when Jesus Christ is going to be revealed to the world in all of his glory and all of his power. The first time he came, he came what? Came in meekness, right? Rode in on a donkey. He's a man of sorrows. Had no money, had no glory, had no prestige. But when he comes back on the day of Revelation, that's not going to be the case. Let me read to you Revelation 19.11. It's going to show us why a genuine faith is going to be really important on that day. This is John in Revelation, Revelation 19.11. He sees a vision of the coming of Christ. Here's what he said. He said, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Verse 12, he says, his eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, those are crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, We're following with him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Jesus, or not Jesus, but John, he sees this vision of the day of the revelation of Christ. And he's saying, look, here's what I saw. Jesus was coming in, and he was riding on a white horse. His robe was red because it was dipped in blood. And the armies of Almighty God were following behind him. He says his eyes were like a flame of fire. I don't know what that means. This sounds scary. But his eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head, he he was wearing these crowns, and from his mouth was coming this sword, and he had a tattoo down his leg, is on his robe, that said, King of kings and Lord of lords. And what John is trying to convey to us, that on that day and in that moment, there will be no debate whatsoever that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was. That in that moment, in that moment when the trumpet sounds, And Jesus Christ comes busting through the clouds. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. If they didn't uh, say it now, they're going to say it then. They're going to be on their knees and they're going to say, He's Lord. That's the Lord. I missed it. He's the Lord. On that day, on the day of the revelation of Jesus Christ and His glory and His power, for those without a genuine faith in Him, Revelation 20 tells us that it's not going to be good. Their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. They're thrown into the lake of fire. But for those of us on that day that are found with a genuine faith, I want you to watch what Peter says. We're going to receive Because this is why your faith in Jesus is more precious than gold. In verse 7, watch. Almost done. Hang with me. It says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it's tested by fire, that genuine faith, he says, may be found to result 
in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For those without genuine faith on the day of the revelation of Christ, they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. But for those with a genuine faith in Jesus, Peter says you will receive praise and you will receive glory and you will receive honor. What does that mean? Praise means adulation. You're going to receive the applause of Jesus Christ. And that's really cool when you think about it. Because not only are you going to spend eternity telling God how much He means to you, but what we just found out is you're going to enter eternity and you're going to hear from God how much you mean to Him. He's going to give you praise. I don't know all that He's going to say, but I think for those of us with genuine faith, I think we're going to hear something to the effect of, you made it. You made it. Well done. You remember all those trials that you went through? I was with you every step of the way. You were never alone for one second. And all I was doing through every moment of trial in your life was getting you ready for this moment. Well done my good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest. So that's the first thing. Peter says you're going to receive praise at the revelation of Jesus. Second thing he says is you're going to receive glory. And I'll be honest with you, I have no idea what that means. The Bible never comes out and says, this is what the glory is. It just has this thing called glory. We're going to give it, and we're going to receive it. I don't know what it means, but all I know is this, is that the Apostle Paul, and, 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 and later on in the Bible, he comes out and says, look, these momentary afflictions, these sufferings you're going through, they simply do not compare to the glory that is going to be revealed to you. I don't know what the glory is, but it sounds amazing. Sign me up. Amen? And the last thing he says, you have a genuine faith stands the test of time and trials. On the day of the revelation of Jesus, you're going to receive praise, you're going to receive glory, and then he says you're going to receive honor. Now when we hear the word honor, we think uh, verbal honor. When somebody says something nice about us, we say, hey, he honored me, or she honored me. It's not a verbal affirmation, that's praise. The word honor in the Greek, I'm not going to go into it, but it is a monetary term. It means physical treasures. God's going to give you physical treasures on the day of the revelation of Christ if you have a genuine faith. Now, we don't know what all that looks like, but one thing the Bible is crystal clear about, it's a physical treasure that you're going to receive on the day of revelation if you have a genuine faith, is crowns. Now, crowns, we're not big crown people in America, but I have a feeling they're going to be pretty cool. I, I, I literally have this much more notes, but, so hang with me. I'm almost done. But th- th- I did a study last year on the crowns. There's five different kind of crowns in the Bible. You earn them. They're not just given to everybody. You earn them as a believer. The first crown is called the crown of life. That's the crown you receive if you endure persecution. If you endure persecution and trials, Jesus gives you the crown of life. The second one is the imperishable crown. 
or the crown imperishable. This is the crown you receive for denying yourself here on earth. That if you walked in obedience with Jesus and you, you desired to die to yourself and pick up your cross, He gives you the imperishable crown. The third is the crown of righteousness. This is the crown that's given to people who longed for the return of Christ. And it's, I, I found it funny, again, when I was at the Stone, most people there were young, and they were in college, and I'd start talking about the return of Jesus, and, and they're like, yeah, cool, Jesus, that's, I'm, that's good, I'm excited about Jesus coming back one day. Why? Because they're young. Their bodies aren't falling apart. They want to get married and go on a honeymoon. And so they're sort of kind of excited about the return of Christ. But our early service in here, the 930, the average age is about 70 in there. I start talking about the day of the revelation of Jesus, and people just taking their coats off, man. They're clapping so hard. They can't wait. You get a crown if you long for the return of Jesus. It's a crown of rejoicing, number four. That's the crown given if you win somebody to Christ. If you, if you hadn't earned your crown of rejoicing yet, I encourage you to do that. And then the fifth one is uh, the unfading crown of glory that's given to faithful pastors. That's what I'm trying to earn right now. So on the day of a revelation of Christ, if you're standing there and you have a faith that didn't get taken out by trials, He's going to give you praise. He's going to give you glory, and He's going to give you honor, which means that He's going to take these crowns, and He's going to place them on your head. But then in the greatest moment of your life, you're going to take that crown off, and you're going to get down on one knee, and you're going to lay Him at His feet. And then you're going to look up, and you're going to give Him praise and glory in honor. Peter writes, says these, you're going through trials, suffering, he says, greatly rejoice, greatly rejoice, jump for joy, because whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through, all in the world is doing is revealing the genuineness of your faith, and if your faith is genuine, the several trillion years from now, you're going to be basking in the praise and the honor and the glory of the Lord, and you're going to look back at that insignificant trial. And you're going to thank God that you got to walk through it because all it did was drive you deep into the heart of God. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I love your word. I love its power. I love its clarity. God, if there's anyone in this place, if there's anyone in this room that has never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, maybe they've been coming to church their whole lives, but they maybe thought today and realized today, my faith, I don't think it's genuine. Lord, I pray that today they would not leave this place until they get that right with you. We thank you for the hope of the day of the revelation of Jesus. That is a day that I long for. I pray you would do it today. But if there are none ready, I pray that today they would turn to you. In Jesus' name.